You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. With me today is Hannes van den Berg, who's co-head SA Equity and Balanced, and also Rahana Khan, portfolio manager, both at 91 in Cape Town. Hannes, I'd like you to set the scene, if you would. Let's look back at the second quarter for Balanced and General Equity Strategies at 91. Maybe you could sort of set the tone for the atmosphere over the second quarter, because it's, it, it's been very interesting. Yes, thanks for the opportunity and good to chat to you again, Lindsay. It's been an incredibly interesting second quarter, um, obviously because of what we all went through in the first part of 2020, there's been a, an incredible strong recovery uh, in global markets over the last 12 months until the end of, of June. And we seem to think that what what happened in uniquely in the second quarter of this year was a big focus to you know, this recovery starting to change into a more mid-cycle growth expansion, therefore more more sideways moving markets, maybe a slow grinding market, uh, you know, relative to the strong uh, recovery we've seen in the 12 months before. And, and now the market is starting to focus on macro data points such as inflation and central banks potentially changing their stance and when do they start to reduce liquidity and when do they start to potentially hike interest rates. So, you know, a bit of a mid-cycle slowdown is what we saw in the second quarter of this year. And now we need to position ourselves correctly for the for the next six and 12 months to follow. Yes, indeed. I mean, if we go back a year, Rahana, you correctly identified opportunities in cyclicals in the middle of last year, both locally in resources, which have worked very well, and also SA Inc. shares like the banks, for example, ABSA and retailers, for example, Fashini, as well as US banks offshore. These trades, these investments have worked very well for your strategy. But does what Hannes just hinted at, i.e. reduce fiscal and monetary stimulus, make you slightly nervous and make you want to either take profits or at least trim your positions and tweak your strategies? Uh, thanks, Lindsay. Yeah, so I think there's two separate ways to look at it on the local side and then the offshore side. On the local side, with a lot of our SA Inc. shares um, in the apparel retailers and, and, and the SA banks like Absa, Fushini, Chewis, which are key holdings for us, we continue to see from a bottom-up perspective earnings upgrades um, to consensus. And relative to our forecast, those upgrades are, are likely to persist. So from a bottom-up perspective, in terms of the banks and the apparel retailers, we haven't trimmed any of our exposure there. Um, what we added in Q3, Q4 last year, we, we've held on to those positions. I think it's a little bit different on the mining st- on the mining side. Some of our um, platinum and and general mining exposure, uh, we still have healthy positions in those particular counters. We did t- start to trim some of that exposure um, at the beginning of of Q2, probably a little bit more aggressively, and then a little bit more to the tail end of Q2. But we still have a healthy position there, and 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 the funding. I mean, we were actually you know in a position where we were looking to um, from a bottom up perspective found really good ideas in the likes of Aspen and Life Healthcare. Um, in the portfolio, and we're looking for uh, for funding for those particular ideas, um, and so that's where where those funders came from. On the offshore side, it's a little bit different um, in terms of the U.S. banks that we added in Q3 and enhanced that position subsequently. We're currently sitting with that position at a third of the size that it was at the, at, at peak levels, and I think um, the reason for that is the reasons for buying it in terms of the earnings upgrade cycle, the uh, valuation levels, um, share buybacks, dividends getting resumed, all of those kind of things have have essentially played out. Um, And we've seen really good upgrades. The valuations are now more fair to full. So it made sense in terms of actually trimming some of that position down um, because it had worked so well for us. 
on the other side of the equation, we started to find opportunities in, you know, more compounder, steady compounder-like companies from a bottom-up perspective that, that kind of had lagged a lot of the, the growth trajectory that the market had in Q4, Q1. Um, and, and those kind of companies we found in the healthcare space, um, offshore, like United Health Group was a, a stock we, we added to, um, as well as Johnson & Johnson or in the defense sector. So, um, as you can hear, there is overall the portfolio still has a very much pro-cyclical tilt, but we did take some profits from the, from the cyclical trade um, to put it in more, more quality compounder type companies because from a bottom-up perspective, those were flagging more interesting. That's interesting. You say you, you trim some positions in order to fund other positions, maybe because you're thinking that there is a, a shift, a sexual shift to look forward to. And Hannes, on, on that note, you, you have an approach, you have a unique approach at 91 where you look at earnings revisions. It's unique in South Africa anyway. How does it adapt when growth or value styles are rising or waning? Obviously, growth has been to the fore for so many years, but suddenly value made a bit of a comeback. Does that affect your earnings revisions policy? I mean, and when I think of earnings revisions, I think of, for example, Aspen, which is one of the shares that you highlight in your presentation that you kindly sent me as a company that has a, a prospect for earnings revisions up, upside. Yes, Lindsay, the, the earnings revisions philosophy about improving sentiment and, and the market upgrading the earnings forecasts for specific companies. We believe that drives share prices and we believe that drives our performance. Obviously, we try and avoid those where sentiment and earnings revisions are deteriorating. Uh, what, we, what we highlight to clients and clients often box that earnings focus into a growth or momentum style is, is we like those positive earnings revisions, companies with positive earnings revisions, and we like to buy them at a reasonable valuation. So we often refer to the tension between the earnings or the fundamentals that support the earnings and, and income statement of a company and the price you pay for it. Whether it's, it's a, uh, Rihanna mentioned full to fair um, or expensive or, or a cheap opportunity to buy an improving sentiment and, and earnings profile. So the tension between the value and, and the fundamentals is, is what we often have to get our heads around. And back to your question around growth and cyclical environment, there are certain you have to you have to have appreciation for your philosophy um, in the context of where we are in market cycles and post the recession, you often get a very strong cyclical recovery and and that's when value a lot of investors focus on the re-rating and the value argument. You get some of your low quality companies that also do well when you go through that part of the cycle. Where we are now, as as I've said, we, we're going to the more steady growth expansion phase. And Rana mentioned some of the some of the changes we've made to the portfolio to accommodate for that. And, and, and what we do, for example, in a stock like Aspen, uh, that, a company that's gone through an incredibly tough period from a balance sheet perspective and, and their strategy got questioned, the strategy of buying buying certain patents and rights and, and, and right-sizing them and positioning them correctly and, and, and therefore extracting more value. You know, that, that old model was questioned a few years ago. What they've done since then is they've sold the infant milk formula business. They've also managed to sell one or two of the European businesses to address the balance sheet issue. Some of the, the rest of the operations are starting to you see utilization and production rates starting to increase. So management's done a good job about positioning the, the existing or old business. And, and then you see the benefit of vaccine manufacturing and production. Um, the facilities in South Africa, uh, certain uh, percentages of that manufacturing that they can allocate to the international vaccine manufacturers. 
uh, and and we think the market is underestimating the benefit that they will get to come through on the on the earnings stream and revenue generated. Obviously, there are a lot of questions around at what margin vaccines will be manufactured. It will probably be not not be done for 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 big profits, but but these companies will still earn a, a small margin, and therefore there's an earnings benefit for the likes of Aspen and Rihanna mentioned the hospital companies. A, a lot of pent up elective surgeries uh, that as the vaccine gets rolled out, uh, maybe not in the in the next three to six months, but in the period thereafter, 12 to 18 months, people will return back to hospitals. So paid patient days, elective surgeries uh, will, will start to pick up and, and, and therefore the utilization rates or occupancies, if you want to call that, at, at hospitals will start to pick up. And we think the market's underestimating the earnings recovery we'll see in the hospitals and, and the likes of Aspen. So you're buying these companies at incredibly attractive valuations, but the growth in earnings over the next 12 to 24 months will be very strong. Hannes, if I can stay with you, I want to talk about protecting your portfolios from rising inflation. And from my perspective, what's more important is not just rising inflation, but the policy response, for example, from central banks to rising inflation. How do you do it? Well, Lindsay, it's a, it's a topic that Chris Freund and Rihanna and I and the rest of our co-portfolio management team discuss almost every day. From an inflation perspective, you know, people, people always worry about prices, we'll take the oil price as an example. When the oil price is at $25 or $30, people worry about it because it's too low. When the oil price is $120 a barrel, people worry about it because it's too high. And inflation is a bit like that as well. When inflation is too low, markets worry about it because there's no pricing power and you know, sort of economies are, the supply-demand dynamics aren't, aren't great. There's not enough demand. And when inflation is too high, people are also fret and stress about it. If you go through history, when inflation in the U.S., for example, was below 1% or, or 1 to 3% or above 3%, and you analyze equity market returns, equity markets tend to do well uh, when inflation is below 3%, you know, in that bracket of 1% to 3%, because Companies can 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 push through that inflation in their revenue lines and their price, when they've got pricing power and if they can protect their margins, companies tend to do well. Um, so so where we are at the moment is we're trying to find those companies where the revenue line and and at the right margin, if if they can manage their costs or you know, push the costs through where needed, these these companies, the earnings stream of these companies actually try to tend to benefit. So that's the counters from a bottom up perspective that we're trying to allocate capital towards and. Now, people look at monetary conditions and they say, oh, this, this has been the peak in policy and therefore policy is now going to become restrictive. We're going to start seeing tapering and, and we start to start see interest rates go, go higher. Now, the, the funny part of that is as well is when, when interest rates starts to, to get increased, and we only think this happens in 2023, equity markets also tend to do well, you know, because interest rates go up for the right reasons. So, so in this market of higher but controlled inflation, as well as well-telegraphed uh, tapering and, and hikes and interest rates, equity markets tend to tend to do okay. So it's it's not an awful down for for risk markets. And as I've said, we we're trying to find those equities um, that that tend to do well in, in in this kind of environment. Your your companies with good pricing power, good market share, gaining market share, structural stories around how they are expanding, um, and and the earnings streams that come with them provide attractive investment opportunities. Rihanna, uh, we're talking to yourself and your colleague, Hannes van der Berg, and uh, Chris Freund has been mentioned as well. But it's not just 91 in Cape Town that's part of this whole strategy, your strategies uh, that we referenced, balance and general equity, that is. Um, so when you sit down with your global team, you obviously spend a lot of time discussing the global and economic outlook. But how do you manage the potential downside in absolute and relative terms? Should the 
the future turn out to be less rosy than many people expect? In other words, do you hedge against it or how do you mitigate the potential downside? Thanks, Lindsay. So I think what's important is when we sit down with our global team, um, the framework that's set up is like with any, anything in markets, nothing's 100% certain. So there's a probability of outcomes that gets put on the table. And so there's a baseball and, and bear case scenario that gets um, that gets put on the table. And then, you know, in terms of the direction of travel, depending on, on the data that we've got in the latest updated flow and data and news flow, et cetera, those scenarios are then adjusted. So then one can actually start to talk about the direction of travel. Is the base case getting better or worse? Is more going into the bear case, et cetera? Um, and, and interestingly enough, with regards to that framework, um, as we came out of Q4 going into Q1, you know, a lot was sitting in the base and the bull case. And over the last quarter, as we've hit this mid-cycle, it's interesting how, you know, the, the bear case has started to get a bit more of, of the allocation. What this does do in terms of your, your portfolio construction is, you know, um, as we spoke about before, is we were very pro-cyclical in our portfolios and we still are very pro-cyclical, but it does, you know, put that probability weighting of a, of a scenario that, that could be less favorable on the table and therefore it therefore reflects in your position sizing related to those positions. So you're still convicted on, on the cyclical recovery, but just making sure that the sizing of those positions are, are, are correct relative to, to what the potential outcomes are. Anas, it would be remiss of me not to talk about the recent civil unrest in the Republic of South Africa. Many people are saying, well, it was just a moment in time and it's been quashed now. But on the other hand, when, as we're pre-recording this podcast, I noticed that Transnet has declared force majeure because of a cyber attack. Maybe that's not part of the civil unrest that we saw, but it just underlines that there are potential risks in South Africa. When you sat down with your team, did you say to yourselves, well, this actually changes things? Or did you just say, this is, as I said in my introduction this was a moment in time please tell me yeah Lindsay you know me as a glass of fool person when we sat down we we said look markets always come with risks and this is not the first time look nobody can can speak positive about what has happened over the last month in South Africa with regards to the riots and the unrest it's it's terrible to see and 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 we have to ask ourselves why why is all of this happening and maybe there's a lot of lockdown frustration and people are hungry and and they're struggling to to make a decent earning from wages and, and salaries so there's a lot of pressure in the system and and and, and that we all saw these frustrations come out but this is not unique. I mean, we've had our strikes in the past. We've had change in financial ministers. We've, we've had our ups and downs in South Africa. And that's part of not only South Africa, but emerging markets. You, you go through these phases where, where you have, we have issues, political issues like, like this. If, if you quantify it to the earnings of, of a lot of the companies, I mean, they all came out with percentages of stores closed down and distribution center disruption. And you've mentioned Transnet and the other disruption that goes with it. But if you, if you stress test the revenue and the earnings of, of these companies, a month or two, three of disruption is is a percentage point or even less than that sort of change to the to the earnings expectation of the of the company, and it's a it's a one PE a one year event. It's not recurring, so you don't you don't expect it to happen every year. I, I guess that the knock on effect is. is it's what's more difficult to quantify. You know, people are reducing the SA GDP rate by 50, 60 basis points for this year. Investment slows down and, 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 and you need investment for a multiplier effect. It drives growth. It drives job creation. It, it drives a lot of that. So, so the sentiment knock to consumer and company investment is the part that, that as a team, we, we're consistently discussing and debating and, and we need to see how that plays out 
over the next three to six months and, and potential change in Delta. When we speak to, to foreigners, you know, people who also invest in South Africa, they look at it and they say this is another emerging market event. It's unfortunate to see, but, but we're actually seeing one or two of them coming in to buy some of our bonds and, and banks. So it's, it's, it's an interesting dynamic, but, but, but it's a, it's a once-off event and, and hopefully, you know, there's a lot of positive contribution from, from people with a positive mindset to, to help correct what has happened over the last month and for us to soldier forward. Okay, let's wrap this up now, Rohana. South African equities have had a terrible time. They've sort of trod water at best and at worst have been terrible underperformers compared to emerging market peers and, of course, the developed world. But something's happening. They've been ignited. Is it just a bounce back from ridiculously low levels or has something structurally really changed in the South African JSE equities? Uh, look, I think the answer is twofold. I think, you know, the reality is these stocks were very hard hit going into the COVID crisis. But like you rightly mentioned, they were underperforming leading into that. So what we are witnessing, which is what we are taking advantage of, is a lot of these businesses will recover to their 2019 earnings levels over the next two to three years. Um, and they're trading at reasonable valuation. And that's essentially why why we're holding on to these shares. In terms of the medium to longer term outlook, you know, um, structural reforms are, you know, moving in the right direction at the moment, but the reality is it's, it hasn't been enough. Um, so we've been helped out by, you know, the commodity, commodity markets of late helping our current account balances and all of those kind of things, which is all supporting South Africa for now. But in terms of the medium longer term trajectory for these businesses to actually outgrow their 2019 earnings and beyond post 2022, 2023, you need GDP growth in South Africa to, you know, be more than the 2% that's, that's kind of been, um, being banted around. And so, you know, more needs to be done on the front of that structural reform. And obviously the situation is pretty liquid, um, fluid at the moment. Um, and something we are keeping an eye on. Final word to you, Hannes. And I, I just need bullet points on the opportunities that you see for the second second half of the year? Lindsay, I still think growth will come through globally. Um, the Delta variant and the risks or nervousness around it, people are questioning whether, whether growth is sustainable post the strong recovery that we've seen. I still think we'll get confirmation of that. I think you know, inflation concerns will, will always be around. But, but with China you know, taking their foot off the break uh, and potentially just normalizing their growth outlook and, and the way in which the economy normalizes, that's, that's still a good environment for emerging markets. Uh, I tend to think that growth stays at or above trend and, as I said, good for emerging markets. And therefore, uh, if, we, if we don't score more own goals in South Africa, um, I still think the resources space and I think the SA consumer, the Financials and, and retail space uh, is, are, are good hunting grounds for a South African investor on the global scale. Rihanna, I've mentioned some of the changes we've made there and, and, and maybe to, to start finding some of those opportunities where earnings growth is still strong um, and companies that do well, uh, you know, sort of the growth environment, that, as I've mentioned, we will, we will alloc keep on allocating money to, to those equity opportunities. And we think markets continue to grind, maybe slower, but grind higher over the next six to 12 months. Hannes, Rihanna, thanks very much for your time. Hannes Vandenberg is co-head SA Equity and Balanced, and Rihanna Khan is portfolio manager, both at 91 in Cape Town. The views and opinions expressed in these podcasts are those of Lindsay Williams and various contributors and do not reflect the policy, position 
or opinion of any other agency, organization, employer, or company associated with strictlybusinesspodcast.com. Assumptions made on the analyses are not reflective of the position of any other entity other than the speaker or the author. And since we are critically thinking human beings, these views are always subject to change, revision, and rethinking at any time. Please do not hold us to them in perpetuity.